0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA, member FDSE. This podcast is brought to you by TeamTrait, a digital solution that helps you hire, optimize, and retain employees. Using psychometric assessments to identify more than 100 professional mindset traits, it gives instant reports you can use to build high-performing teams. Get two free profiles today, no commitment, no credit card required, at teamtrait.com team t-r-a-i-t.com. welcome to the manage smarter podcast with hosts c lee smith and audrey strong we're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter hire develop and retain talent improve results and propel team performance to new heights this is the manage smarter podcast
1: professional or someone constantly earning raises bonuses recommendations but yet every day you go home feeling kind of i don't know depressed and you know stewing over everything that went wrong and not looking at what went right and if you're a sales executive mm. or manager over our next guest says he can help alleviate the stress you feel from this is what he called a quote the tyranny of numbers 24 7 that you're feeling in your role and uh, i think we've all felt that whether you're in a role that's straight out revenue sales manager role or even if you're in like a public relations role and you have other number type of deliverables. Welcome to Manage Smarter everyone. I'm Audrey Strong. I'm VP of communications here at Sales Fuel.
2: And I'm Celie Smith. I am the CEO of Sales Fuel. And 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 to that end, Audrey it's like these days like we're all having to generate higher numbers with fewer people, less budget everything like that at the same point time we're having these conversations about work-life balance has been a term that's been you know thrown about for many years now whatever we seem to be failing spectacularly at it so hopefully we can get some tips on achieving that
1: absolutely and attorney chuck price is joining us today with 40 years of experience managing legal teams and trying cases name one of the five most influential commercial litigators in arizona By Arizona Business Leaders Magazine. He has taught management and negotiations to sales representatives, sales managers, and others around the country. And they offer the book, Rewiring the White Collar Mind, which analyzes how workplace incentives can lead to professional success, but personal unhappiness... Uh, and which also give a, a practical steps to help us transcend those messages. And in my ad, he's going to talk a little bit about quiet quitting, which is a relatively new phenomenon and how that plays into all this. Chuck, we're so lucky to have you. I can't believe this. It's great. Been looking forward to it, sir.
3: Me, me too. Thank you so much.
1: All right. So escaping the tyranny of numbers, mm-hmm. let's talk about what you mean by the tyranny of numbers, since that was the phrase you and I emailed about back and forth.
2: Right. Do, well, do we need to dump them into Boston Harbor? That's what I want to know. <laughs>
3: Well, it, it that's really at sort of the core of all of the stress that most of us feel around managing and being managed. Um, if everybody would hit their numbers reliably and we could hit our own numbers, no problem, no stress, everything is fine. Um, but I, I think we need to step back and uh, Kind of figure out in our own lives what is the relevance of numbers? How much importance are we going to give them? What do the numbers really mean? And it's so easy to fall into that trap of the numbers that I am assigned in my professional life have some relation to my self worth. Um, I tell a story in my book, Rewiring the White Collar Mind, about a law student who was consoling another law student about a grade that he got that they both thought was too low. And one and one student said to the other, you're at least an 82. Not you should have gotten an 82 on some particular <laughs> project or some particular test, but you personally are an 82. You might be
2: a 10, but it's <laughs> an yeah, really it, 82. It, it, <laughs>
3: and i realized we're we're all being socialized to kind of do that to ourselves mm-hmm. to assign ourselves a set of numbers that correlate to our salary our performance our collections our sales our commissions whatever it might be so it, the the tyranny of numbers comes in large part from the fact that we all sort of unconsciously buy into this value structure that that because numbers are so easy uh, to they're they're inhan- inherently uh, quantitative, and so a a five is always better than a three in some sense, uh, and and then you look at all the things that go into how important uh, to go into that are important values in our life that are non-quantitative. You know your your kid needs you at the softball game. Well, do I assign that a five or a three or a thousand or what? What's the number there? There's no number, and and so you can see that that numbers start to win out because they are so inherently concrete and measurable and specific, and so we're always sort of chasing the numbers. So let me let me give you a couple of uh, a couple of numbers that kind of put these numbers in context. Um, there was a study by Gallup in 2013 called State of the American Workplace, which found that only 30% of the American workplace felt engaged in their work and also found that employee disengagement cost between $450 and $550 billion a year. So there are some numbers. A 2012 study by the American Psychological Association found that 93% of employees who say they felt valued at work also reported that they felt motivated to do their best as compared to only 33% of those who didn't feel valued. So I think what that all means is if your quote numbers are important to you, then you better look at those numbers and say, to increase the performance of your team, your own performance, you better make people feel included, valued, respected, so that the overall performance is as good as possible, and to keep um, to keep turnover as low as possible. That's sort of a long term number that a lot of people don't look at and pay attention to. Um, but we talked about quiet quitting. Um, you know, that's that's a number that has sort of hit the economy uh, pretty hard. Kind of came out of nowhere. Because with the pandemic, corporate America was sort of forced to run this experiment that it otherwise never would have run. Everybody works from home. And now everybody's kind of thinking about what is my life balance and how much do I really want to commute and how much should I really be in the office? Those are options we never had before the pandemic. And so now employees have a power that they never had before because they can go to uh, an employer and say, there are other uh, options for me out there, someplace where I can work remotely and be more valued and have a better work-life balance. And so uh, I'm going to explore those. So the balance of power has subtly shifted over the last few years. And I think um, corporations are really starting to uh, acknowledge that.
2: It has to be the value that you assign to numbers because it's like, you know, five isn't always better than three when I'm playing golf. But first, quite frankly, I would love to have a five. <laughs> so a five is better than an eight.
3: <laughs> you know, golf is a great example. Lee, um, I, I played for many years, uh, and and I found that I would enjoy a round if I shot a good score, and I just felt terrible if I was three or four yes. strokes higher than that. Yeah, my mm-hmm. husband and I thought that. this is yeah. crazy. You know, I'm I'm allowing my my sense of of you know how good I am as a golfer and really myself worth for a little while to kind of go up and down. Based on these little, uh, you know, differences in numbers, and any pro golfer will tell you the difference between seventy-six and seventy is nothing.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So, and so that's actually a pretty good example that you know I had to kind of realize: you're out there, you're in with friends, you're enjoying the sunshine, and let's just relax and enjoy the game.
1: So, in all of that, per your book title, "Rewiring the White Collar Mind," how do you fix this and turn it around, not only for yourself? but for your team to get team engagement up and get everybody re-engaged. Give us some practical tips on what to do.
3: So the, the book goes into this in great detail and it really started off as a book aimed at the individual worker. And let me give you a little history of where the book came from. I talked to law students for many years and I realized that there were all these eager young law students who were brilliant. They'd gotten into a good law school, they're ambitious, they're successful already. And yet they're uptight, miserable, and and nervous. And I, I so the book began with the question of why is that? What, are, what messages are they getting that are making them feel this way? And I, what I told them was, uh, recognize that you are learning to study legal precedent, which is looking backwards, and you're learning to strategize, which is looking forward, but you're never taught to live right now. And we all know that that's an important life skill. That's just sort of intuitive to everybody, but just recognize the um, the messages that you're getting uh, from your environment are teaching you away from the things that will make you happy. So step back and think about that, okay? Uh, and then I, so I, I started thinking in my own mind, what are some of the other messages that we're getting? Well, we engage in black and white thinking. We are uber competitive. Um, we always think winning is better than losing, and we have to win in every transaction, in every conversation, in every moment. Certainly, lawyers have to, quote, win every case. Um, I thought about connections and the fact that, you know, every study tells you that happiness is strongly correlated with the quality of our connections. And yet, most of the incentives in the corporate world don't explicitly encourage us to have positive, loving connections that are. Um, not transactional, not conditional. Mm. Uh, and, and how can we kind of step back and, and make sure we create that kind of connections? Um, I have a chapter on listening. And I, I point out that, you know, most of us professionals think that we are being educated as experts. And so our job is to sort of pontificate at great length. And we're never taught to just sit quietly and listen to people, particularly clients and find out what's really going on in their world. And it's such a gift you can give to somebody to, to just really listen attentively and, and fully understand where they're coming from. Um, so those are some of the main ones.
2: Yeah, so I'm thinking about the entrepreneur who's, who's got to make payroll. And I'm thinking about the sales manager that's got to make the numbers that have been handed down to, to him or her by corporate. If they don't make those numbers, they're not going to keep their job. Thinking about the salesperson then who's having to deal with, uh, you know, all kinds of things out of their control, but if they don't make certain commission numbers, they can't pay the bills. So how can we uh, retrain our brains a little bit? You know, what are a couple of good solid tips you can give basically so that we don't let those numbers hang over our head like like a sword of Damocles, you know?
3: That's really the key question, Lee, is we can talk all day long about, you know, having a good work-life balance. And I want to get back to that in a minute, but, you know, let's face it. If our numbers don't add up over some period of time, we're not going to make it as a company or a manager or an employee. So how do we kind of recon- reconcile that stress? That's the, I think that's what you're asking. Mm-hmm.
1: Is there a difference and, between, Oh, go ahead. Sorry.
3: Um, I talked with my stepson about this. Who's a very gifted manager at several stores that sell high-end watches. And I asked him this exact question. He said, you know, you live in a numbers world. And if your people don't hit their numbers over time, you know, it's going to be an issue. Um, and yet I know you're not fundamentally a numbers guy, you're a people guy. So how do you, how do you manage? And he said, look, um, I want them to know that I understand that there are some things that are outside their control. Maybe a sale gets closed, maybe it doesn't. Uh, and they're mature enough to understand that they're being judged on numbers and I'm being judged on numbers. But the way that I believe I can put everybody in the best position to hit the numbers or do their best is to make them feel seen, appreciated, respected, Mm -hmm. understood. uh, And I don't pound them over the head uh, over the numbers uh, or over, you know, Perceived infractions that might, you know, call my sort of managerial control into question. I just don't play those games. Uh, I tell them, you know, I can, I see how hard you're working. And even though the team may not have hit its numbers last month, I don't consider that a failure because I, everybody was here on time. I saw you working hard and might single somebody out for some specific thing. I saw what you did. So I consider that to be a success. Um, so I, I think it's an acknowledgement that the numbers are never really totally within our control. Uh, And and in terms of managing salespeople, he gave me a really good insight. He said, you know, uh, I've got some people who are just really, really gifted salespeople and their natural expected sales in a given time period might be 100 and somebody else's might be 80. And it doesn't mean that the 80 person isn't trying hard or isn't doing their best. Or if the sales goal is ninety, it looks like the hundred guy has has met the goal and the eighty guy hasn't met the goal. So does that mean the eighty guy is a is a failure? I, he said, "I just don't see it that way. I, I manage to, you know, to get the best performance out of the individual that I think they're capable of, and that's really all I can expect."
1: Mm-hmm. If I'm a sales manager listening to this podcast and I'm thinking about changing jobs. Is it your opinion that a uh, middle management position, where you're managing up and down, is harder to rewire your brain out of than if you are top down in the C-suite, pushing out down?
3: It it, it probably is, Audrey, because you're both a a recipient of the messages and a deliverer of the messages. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you're you're very much caught in the middle. And I think that that kind of middle manager job is inherently one of the most stressful for sure. Um, uh, and now, you know, C-suite has their own stresses, no question, the people at the bottom of the period have their own, we can talk about all of those. But But to your question, yes, I think that is one of the most stressful positions. And so if I were advising somebody from their personal standpoint, that was in that position and looking to change or or looking to get into such a position, I'd say, you know, you, you really want to find yourself an organization that understands how stressful a position that is and will support you in in doing that job as well as you can without getting totally out of balance because that doesn't do anybody any good. You know, you may if let's say you go in there and you just sort of throw your weight around and you beat everybody up and everybody quote hits their numbers for some period of time. That's not a sustainable model if you're not treating mm-hmm. people respectfully and compassionately. So you get a lot of turnover over time, which you know that's an important number, if you will. That's why I kind of quoted those Back numbers. to the numbers, the yeah. you, You've yeah. got to <laughs> look at you've got to look at all the numbers, including the big picture. Um, you know, is is it, you know, I've been in law firms where people were billing just ungodly amounts of hours and all of that. And it looked like we were super profitable, but it, it there wasn't enough cohesion to keep everybody together and it didn't last over time. So now what's your number? You know, mm-hmm. you're, <laughs> now your number is zero. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of and so you want to look for an organization that understands uh, that it's it's beyond the number of last month, this month, compared this month to last year, um, you're, you're looking for an environment that will support you in a more holistic approach. And I think more companies are getting to that because we're, we're kind of understanding that this sort of constant growth every year over the last year improving is probably not a sustainable model for every kind of uh, industry and every kind of organization. So shop, shop the organizations and find out in detail what's their philosophy about how to support the middle manager.
2: I want to ask you a question about fear, uh, because that can definitely be a, be a stressor and, and something, quite frankly, that needs to be a little rewired. But you know, there's a lot of fear these days about AI, fear about inflation, fear about the economy, fear about all kinds of things that, that, that are really out, out of one's control. And, you know, and I think that, you know, can you give any tips then for for people on how to deal with that? Maybe some some things they can be asking themselves or or thinking about in a different way to help deal with some of these fears.
3: Well, let's take the examples of the things that you just mentioned, Lee, inflation, AI, the economy. We could list several other things that that we're all we all have fear about. Notice that those aren't things that are affecting us right now in this moment. In this moment, we're having this wonderful conversation. I'm talking to these two gifted people, and it's fantastic. I'm totally engaged in it. And and there's nothing about inflation that's affecting me right now. So what what fear does is it takes you out of the moment that you're experiencing, puts you into some other place where it's at a different time over which you have no control. So what am I supposed to do about inflation that may be an issue down the road? Um, the answer is there's nothing I can do right now about that. So, what 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 we have to understand is that when we are when we're experiencing fear, we are always thinking about an event that is not yet occurring. And so, by definition, we're living in a fantasy world. This might happen. Mm-hmm. That might happen. And the more you practice presence and living in this moment, I, I really have found over the years, my, my fear factor has gone down dramatically. Because it's just like, that's not something that's affecting me now. When it does affect me, I have the skills to, um, to deal with it. And I'll just handle it at the time.
1: Interesting. Your website is charlesprice.com. Esquire, but it's esq.com and we got about a minute left and Lee had a special question he wanted to ask <laughs> before the end of the show. So I'll let him take the floor. Well,
2: you know, <laughs> uh, we had a, a guest on a, a while ago whenever, who, who was a, a rock drummer and yes. uh, and of course I, I've heard that you are a blues harmonica player and that's sort of like your happy space so I'll ask you the same question I asked him, who is the greatest <laughs> blues harmonica player of all time and I'll preface this with you know, those who are younger than us, for example, might have a knee-jerk reaction to say John Popper. But I, suspect I was gonna that, say I suspect that you might have a different answer to that.
3: Well, um I think most harmonica players would tell you that that the legend, the goat, is little Walter, who was Muddy Waters harmonica player. He really uh, helped pioneer the Chicago Amplified Sound and make the harmonica, uh, help that transition from it being a toy into the Mississippi saxophone where it had a real tuneful, deep mournful, mature quality. So I don't think you get any argument if you said little Walter.
1: And you can get go into your relaxation zone with Chuck's, you know, advice and a little, little Walter. So it's right. exactly. <laughs> a good way to end the show. How would you like people to reach out to you?
3: So you can reach out at my website, Charles Price, info at com, And uh, I love to hear from people, especially if they've read the book and found it useful as a lot of people have.
1: What a pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show. We sure appreciate it.
3: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com.